listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you, 11 o'clock venue crowd. It's good, good to be with you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony. If you have a Bible, would you join me as we look at Proverbs? Uh, We are in week three of our uh, summer series in Proverbs, and we're going to be looking at Proverbs 22, verse 6. Again, and I'm excited to be with you, uh, even just looking around the room, seeing a variety of adults, some in grandparenthood, and then I see some families with babies. So this is exciting, being that we're getting to hear from the Lord on parenting this morning as we look at the wisdom of God in Proverbs. Uh, As you're turning there, would you do me a favor and stick up your finger? Come on, everyone do it. You got, I think it's your index finger, right? Yeah. And then lick it. Good, because we're going to be turning pages in the Bible today, so now you're ready. We will start in Proverbs, but then towards the end of my time, we'll look at a few other passages. Just want you to be ready. Uh, just a moment, I, I want to read this verse, and I'm sure most of you have heard it before. Maybe you, even you're somewhat familiar with it. And my desire for our time this morning is for us to rejoice in the grace of God in the gospel as we think about this proverb for just a few moments. Now, my title for our time is Dedication, How the Gospel Changes Our Parenting. And this morning, I suppose, really, I just have, if you're looking at your notes, Really, I just have a a one-point sermon, although I believe every sermon uh, that has ever been preached uh, could be uh, in some shape or form or is really just a one-point sermon. Amen? Meaning the the main focal point, the main point is Jesus himself. Um, But we will have uh, something for you to follow along with. Uh, I was given the task to preach on parenting, which for me is both exciting and intimidating. Because anytime I believe you're asked to speak or preach on a specific topic to a large group of people, there is somewhat of an assumption that you know something about that topic or that you yourself are somewhat of an expert. And I am by no means an expert on this topic. In fact, There are many days, uh, parents in the room can track with me, that I wish I was a better parent to the three children that the Lord has graciously entrusted me with. Now, this September, uh, Sarah and I, my wife and I, will have been married for 13 years, and I've been a parent for 13 years. And through those 13 years, I have laughed, I've learned, I've cried, I've triumphed, I've rejoiced, and uh, I've had just as many shortcomings as, I, as, I've, as I've had successes. And the truth be told, I kind of secretly wish I was in your position this morning learning and hearing from the Lord on parenting, but uh, the Lord has given me this opportunity to speak to you and share from his word. So if you would look at Proverbs 22 with me for just a moment as we read this all-familiar verse. Verse 6, your translation, your copy of God's Word may say train up, or it may say teach a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Now, one thing I think really before we launch into thinking and looking at this verse that we need to remember as we look at this proverb is to know that the proverbs are not all promises or they're not as much, they're not as promises as much as they are, rather just principles. The proverbs in and of themselves are wisdom, but they also require wisdom to fully understand and comprehend them, which is kind of like this weird, vicious, but really cool cycle that God has created where he gives us wisdom in his perfect and holy word, but he also requires wisdom for you to understand that wisdom. And I confess, I have, like maybe most of you this morning, have read this verse or have heard uh, a sermon on it before and have automatically interpreted it or viewed it as some, some sort of promise. But the problem with doing that, with this Proverbs, or excuse me, with this proverb and with other Proverbs, is that the Proverbs were never really intended to be read or interpreted that way as promises. In fact, the Proverbs themselves are hardly ever absolute statements. Now, the most perfect example of that is our verse this morning. Proverbs 22.6 isn't necessarily a guaranteed promise. There are plenty of parents who throughout the course of history, and maybe even in this room today, who have done their best to quote-unquote train or teach up a child in the way he should go, and then years down the road found that that child had departed from the ways that they were instructed. The child that they loved and the child that they had high hopes for ended up becoming wayward and chose not to follow the ways of the Lord or maybe even chose not to follow Jesus himself. So dear friends, we must remember that the Proverbs are principles of wisdom and instruction that you can maybe even see them as somewhat conditional. And here's what I mean by that. You may be reading a proverb and it would sound something like this. Well, if you will do X, then your chances of Z increase. Or maybe you might meet a proverb like this, where it says, the wise man does A, but it is the fool who does B. So it's important, again, for us to remember that the proverbs are not always guaranteed. And I believe this to be true for two main reasons. Number one, we live in a fallen world, right? Amen? The curse of sin has come into this world thousands of years ago when our very first parents, Adam and Eve, believed a lie from the serpent. And they chose to believe and trust in that serpent and say, your way, our way is better than God's way. So therefore, God in his grace has given us this book, this perfect, holy, and inspired word, this book that we call the Bible. And then, even furthermore, he gave us one entire book inside this book with a bunch of little wisdom nuggets in it for us to live on, live by, and apply to our own lives. So that's the first reason I believe that the Proverbs are not always guaranteed to be true. The second is this, that God is sovereign in all things. God is sovereign in all things, meaning this. This truth This truth of us believing and holding to God's sovereignty is one of the benchmarks of the Christian faith. And this truth is the one that Christians can cling to in times of hopelessness and in times of despair. So when we think, 
we've maybe tried to apply this proverb to our lives, and we've done it the way the Lord has asked us to do it, but maybe it didn't work out the way that we had hoped. So no matter what happens in your life, dear friends, when your life feels like it's falling apart, please know and remember that you have been loved, you've been purchased, you've been adopted by an infinitely holy God who is good to the nth degree and is working all things out for his glory and your good. So dear Christian, there is no need to fear. God is in control and he is sovereign over all things. Now, as nice and as wonderful as Proverbs 22, verse 6 is, I think maybe at some point throughout the course of history that there are parents who have read this verse and believed it, maybe viewed it as a promise, and then maybe it didn't work out the way they hoped. And then through that event, it caused some confusion. Maybe even it caused some tension between them and the Lord. Because they would read a verse like Proverbs 22, 6 and say, well, Lord, I did it your way, and it went wrong. What now? And if that's you, if that has happened to you, whether in parenting or in something else, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I I hope that our time as we think through this will be helpful and encouraging to you in your life as you think about God's sovereignty under the context of parenting. I do hope, um, knowing that we've got a variety of people in this room, that I am talking about parenting to parents, but I believe that this truth and this wisdom speaks into the lives of a variety of people. So whether you're a new parent or a parent-to-be, or a parent that has been for 15, 20 years, or if you're looking to get married soon, I pray that you would find hope and encouragement as we think through Proverbs 22, verse 6. There may even be people, uh, again, in this room who have parented, and maybe their kids are older now, and they have moved out. Uh, They're just in a different season. It's not that they're not parents anymore. They're still parents. I pray that you would find encouragement as well as we think through this. Let's look at verse 22, excuse me, verse 6 of chapter 22 for a few moments. Now, the reason I entitled uh, the message today, Dedication, is because of the Hebrew word in verse 6. And as I studied this and prepared for our time this morning, I found two small points of contention or two things that I kind of questioned when it comes to how this verse is translated. So here's the first thing. There's a Hebrew word in verse 6, and you have to forgive me, I'm not a Hebrew expert. I only took like four or five months of Hebrew in school. But the Hebrew word that is translated for train or teach is the Hebrew word kanak. And it actually means to dedicate. Matter of fact, in the three other uses of that one word, there are three other places in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 20, 1 Kings chapter 8. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, that same Hebrew word is used in those passages and it's translated as dedicate. Specifically in those contexts of those passages, it's actually in the context of dedicating a home or a building. So the word kanak is translated as dedicate. But here in Proverbs 22, we have the translation of train. Secondly, the most Uh, the more common translation of the latter part of verse 6, in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I believe that translation, it's good in and of itself, and it helps us see it, but I don't feel like it captures the heart of what the author really intended. Um, Actually, the way it should be translated or understood is the Hebrew phrase comes into English as according to the dictates of his way. 
And so there is an imperative form verb in this proverb. If you will do this, this could be the result. But the imperative form, as we think through it, actually helps us to see it in this way. Dedicate a youth according to the dictates of his way. But what does that mean? I think most of us would read that and just be scared and be like, I have no idea what that word means or how that connects. But I think Bruce Waltke's commentary on this very verse might be helpful. He said this, perhaps the more proper translation of Proverbs 22.6 is dedicate a child according to what his ways or what his way demands. Dedicate a child according to what his way demands. So then, coming to that point, I think maybe the two questions we ask ourselves is how do we dedicate a child and how do we do that according to what he or she demands? Well, I'm glad you asked because these are questions I asked myself. Now, let me begin by sharing an illustration. On March 26, 2017, most of you were here at this church. Uh, you may remember it, you may not, but this was the Sunday in the year 2017 that was right before Easter. And on this Sunday, South Christ Baptist Church had what we might call a soft opening for our new building. In essence, we had a dedication service for our new worship center. And on that Sunday, we gathered together and we dedicated that new space to the glory of the Lord as we recognized it was a blessing from him. We as a church gathered and we celebrated on that day. We sang songs of worship. We read scripture together. And essentially, in that moment, as one local body of believers here in Lubbock, Texas, we were saying in that dedication service, Lord, thank you for this marvelous gift. And we are consecrating it to you to be used for your glory, your renown, and your purposes. Dear friends, we are to do the very same thing with our children. We dedicate them, consecrate them to the Lord because they are gifts from him. So I think everyone would agree with me in this room that you know, even if you don't have children, that children are a gift. They're not really ours though. They are given to us and trusted to us for a short period of time. And here in Proverbs, God is telling us through his wisdom literature that we would be wise if we dedicated them to him according to what they need. Now, we'd ask the question, what do children need? What ultimately do children need? Well, we can all agree that children need a lot of things because every single one of them is unique. Amen? Just look at me. <laughs> Some children may have health issues and need specific care throughout their childhood. Or maybe you have a child who has special needs, and that precious gift that has been given to you needs a particular set of parenting skills. We can all agree that every child, no matter where they're at, what their needs are, they need love, they need care, they need food and water. Our children need direction, they need discipline, and they need wisdom. But I've also learned this, Far above every need that your children, that my children have, far above their need for a scholarship to go to college, far above their need or desire to play every sport known to man, far above every physical need is a need that surpasses all of them, and it's their spiritual need. Your children need Jesus. 
regardless of where you stand with him. They, we all need Jesus, but specifically, parents, your children need Jesus. Parents in the room, if you have fallen into a slumber or a belief where you're trying to give your child everything on this earth, but never dedicate yourself to pointing them towards Jesus, then we've missed the point of parenting. We must fulfill our children's greatest need. Jason DeRoche is an author and a pastor, and he was, wrote an article, commentary on this verse, and he said this, and I wanted to share it with you. Every child's future is filled with possibility, and parents have an opportunity to direct a child's path toward God. So, dear parents, no matter what you do or what they do, everything is an opportunity to be pointed towards God. And that is your calling, and that is your task as a parent. So then, I think the understanding for us then is this. The choice is ours. As parents, we have a choice to decide how we parent, how we love, and how we shepherd these little hearts. But we must remember in God's sovereignty that he has given us this gift of these kids, and he wants us to shepherd and love them and be cautious and tender towards them and, and love them and lead them and develop a heart inside the child that comes to know the Lord. So dear friends, dedicate your life to the eternal purposes of your children, even if that means that your children don't follow your direction. Dedicate your children to the Lord, even if it doesn't turn out the way that you had hoped. Now, let me address kind of the second part of my title as we spend some time in here in this verse. Um, and I want to do that by giving you my one point to the sermon. The title, as you remember, is Dedication, How the Gospel Changes Our Parenting. And the subtitle, the second part of the, uh, my title this morning, really is the, the main thing that sparked uh, the one point that I want to share with you in just a second, but also the direction that I had hoped to go in this morning with you. So here's, here's the one point that I, I want you to see and kind of land on. Jesus dedicated his life to the cross so that you could dedicate your life to his glory. Amen? Jesus dedicated his life to the cross so that you could dedicate your life to his glory. Now, you may be wondering, as I did, and I actually changed this, Tony, wouldn't it be better to say, well, Jesus dedicated his life to the cross so you could dedicate your life to your children, or you could dedicate your children. And while that may be true, I found this statement to be better. I think it's more broader. And let me explain it to you here for just a few moments. If you look, if you'll take your finger, the New Testament, we see pictures of literal dedication and of spiritual dedication. And for the first one, turn over to Luke, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. I want to give you a couple of examples here. This first one is where we see the account of Jesus as a baby, just dazed after his birth. He's being dedicated, as was custom, to the law in his day. Look at verse 22. And when the time came for the purification, for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Now, the reason I bring your attention to this passage and why I like it is because it pictures quite literally the earthly dedication of Jesus. As a human, baby boy, Jesus was dedicated. But who was it that brought him to Jerusalem to be dedicated? His parents. Mary and Joseph were being faithful to the Lord and following this law and this commandment. And parents in the room who have maybe stood here on the stage at Southcrest or at another church before a church family, if you have dedicated your parents, excuse me, your children, hopefully you recognize or know that when you stood up there on that stage before your church and dedicated your child, you were basically saying this, as I believe maybe Mary and Joseph were. You're saying this, Lord, thank you for this gift. And I want you, my church family, to know that I am dedicating my life to loving, teaching, and pointing this child towards Jesus. And I want you, my church family, to hold me accountable. That's really the picture that's being painted in child dedications. I think it's safe to say that when we do that, matter of fact, I think we had one in the 11 o'clock service, maybe, it's really about 95% more for the parents and really maybe 5% about the kids. When you stand up there and dedicate your child, you're saying something for yourself. You're saying, I have hopes and aspirations that this gift that God has given me will come to know Jesus. But I want you, the church family, to know about it so you can hold me accountable, pray for me, so that this child may be dedicated and know the Lord. Second, turn back a book or two to Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. This is where we see Jesus. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane just days before he'll be murdered as he hangs on a cross. I want you to see the dedication here. Look at verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus here, in a moment of despair and probably uh, in pre-torture, if you will, he's horrified of the events that are to come. And he's saying, hey, dad, if we could do this another way. I'm game. But what does he say at the end? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was dedicated to the task at hand. Jesus was dedicated to the mission. Long before he came to earth, he knew what he was going to go through. And when he got here, he was dedicated. Turn over to the book of Hebrews towards the end of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. One more verse I want to share with you. Hebrews chapter 12. Some of you may know verses 1 and 2. The author of Hebrews in these two verses really give us a tremendous amount of encouragement to run this race that we call life. Or maybe we could say to run this race that we call parenting. And when we get bogged down and when we're discouraged and we feel like we're inadequate and we can't do it, the Bible tells us to look at Jesus. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Here's the dedication. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. What I love about that verse is it reminds us that Jesus was well aware of the difficulties he was going to face, but there was a joy that was set before him and he endured everything. So parents, the encouragement to us is no matter what we may feel inside, everything we feel isn't always right because we're tempted and swayed by everything and all the situations around us and our culture and our friends and our family. We got to remember that what we may think is right, even if it's uh, primarily if it's according to what the world says. It may be easy, but that doesn't mean it's right. And when things get tough, we stay dedicated to the task. We remember our calling as parents, and we dedicate those children to the Lord. So be encouraged. In those moments, look to Jesus. Now, these are just a few examples, for time's sake, that I wanted to share with you, but there are so many more that we could have looked at in the gospel accounts of literally the life of Jesus, where as he was going to and fro on missionary journeys and so on, preaching and doing all of his tasks before he was going to go to the cross, he had many instances where he ticked people off, where they want, wanted one thing and he did another, or he said one thing and they had hoped for another. But he stayed dedicated to the task, to his mission, to the cross, in spite of what others thought about him. Dear friends, we are to do the same with our children. We follow the Lord's wisdom and guidance, and we love and lead and dedicate our children to his glory and his purposes. Now, how do we live for the glory of God? I think that's a great question to ask. Well, I believe we can live for the glory of God in numerous ways, but one of the ways, and this time in our context this morning, we can live for the glory of God is to parent the children that he has given us well. But there is one crucial thing that I think you and I must remember. And I hope this has encouraged you as, much, as, as it did me, as much as it did me. We live for the glory of God. We strive towards holiness. We love and dedicate our children. But we do all this empowered by the gospel. Not of our own power of volition. We do it under the power of the gospel. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So dear friends, remember or know, the gospel is not something that just saves you past tense as an event in your past, but it continues to go on saving you present tense, day in and day out. The gospel is the means not only by which we prepare for the kingdom, but it is the, way, the means in which we live for the kingdom. And the gospel is the means in which you and I can successfully train, teach, and dedicate our children. I wonder if anyone is wondering, well, Tony, is it really that simple? What, what is this gospel? What, why, why don't you remember this gospel? What is it? It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is it that simple, Tony? Yes. But it is so profound. Remember that truth. Remember God's gospel as you strive towards something greater in your parenting. As a parent myself, I know one thing to be absolutely true. 
I will fail over and over again. It's inevitable. But there is one thing, dear friends, that we can do. And when we do it, we do not fail. And it's this. When we get the gift that we call children, we hand our children back over to the Lord. That is one way we never fail. is when we dedicate them to his care and his sovereign will. Now, I usually try uh, as we get to study the word and get to think on some things for a few moments, I like to try and be practical towards the end of our time together. Um, You know, we've just heard from the Lord. We've heard this truth, but I always kind of ask the question, well, what do we do now? And I hope maybe you're asking yourself that question too. What do we do now with this encouragement on parenting and this wisdom from Proverbs on dedicating our children? So over the last few moments, I've attempted to explain the what and the why of dedication and parenting. But I want to look for a few moments at the how. And what I want to do is give you 10 tips. I'd love for you to jot them down uh, in your notes on the front there. You may have noticed some uh, scriptures on the back of your notes. I didn't reference those. Those are just things that I wanted to put in your notes to give to you. Those are 10 practical tips. Well, they're actually scriptures, but things that are helpful for Christian parents to know in this crazy world that we live in when it comes to parenting. So I hope that you'll refer to those at some point. But I want to give you 10 things that I've kind of put together. Please know that these are kind of just a hodgepodge of different things. One of things that I have learned from experience. Uh, Two, these are things that I've had taught to me, either through uh, sermons or conferences or things of that nature. And then third, a couple of these things that uh, I want to share with you, I've selected from well-known pastors and authors, uh, just a couple of men that uh, I even look to myself when I'm looking for help in my spiritual journey. So I'll try and go through these quickly, but uh, if you want to write them down, good luck. <laughs> number one, number one, first tip, know that your children are a precious gift. Children are a precious gift from the Lord. Psalm 127, verse 3. Most of you probably know this verse. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The word heritage also means possession or inheritance. So we could read that verse. Children are a inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. I feel like I've kind of been operating uh, this entire sermon under the assumption that we all know that children are gifts from the Lord. So what do we do then? We dedicate our lives to this glorious cause of parenting. Because of this gift that God has given us, we commit our lives to loving them and leading them towards Jesus. And we do this because God receives the glory that he deserves. And as he receives that glory, as you live according to his will, you enjoy the benefits of his power and his grace in your own life. Amen? Number two, this is helpful to me. Parents, commit to long-view parenting. Commit to long-view parenting because change is a process, not an event. Most of you know, if uh, you're my age or have grown in maturity or wisdom, you know that change does not happen overnight. So commit your life and have a long-view, bigger-picture parenting in mind because change takes time. It's a process, not an event. Number three, trust in what I'd like to call future grace or just trust in grace. Here's what I mean. 
God won't call you to do something without giving you what you need to accomplish it. Amen? We believe that, right? As Christians, if God's going to ask us, call us to do something, he's going to equip us to do it. And the same is true for parenting. Parents, if you can remember the very first moment you held that first kid and you were freaking out, <laughs> like I did, what do I do? What, it's crying. What does it need? I don't like stinky diapers. How, how is this going to work? In that moment, dear friends, I believe God began that process of giving you exactly what you need to be the parent for that child. So trust in God's grace. Number four, remember that as a parent, you're not just dealing with bad behavior. As a parent, you are not dealing with bad behavior. Rather, you're dealing with a condition that causes bad behavior. Each of us have a condition that causes bad behavior. So here's what I would add to that. The goal of parenting then is not behavior change. It is heart and life change. Parents, let's not waste our time exhausting ourselves trying to control our child's behavior. You know just as much as I do that that is physically and mentally exhausting. <laughs> Therefore, let's be smart. Let's take God's truth and recognize that those sweet little angels are sinners. <laughs> they need God's grace and forgiveness. So attack the root of the problem instead of attacking the symptoms. Don't deal with just bad behavior, but deal with the condition that causes their behavior. Number five, recognize what you are not able to do and see that as essential to good parenting. When you recognize that you are not able to physically, emotionally, or mentally do things, that is essential piece to good parenting. Here's why I believe that. Humility goes a long way. Humble yourself before the Lord and recognize that you are not everything that that child needs, but you are exactly what they need in that moment because God gave them to you. And maybe that's another reason that God has designed marriage because maybe something you're great in, your spouse is not great in, or maybe something you're weak in, your spouse is greater at. And you work together as one unit. So recognize those things. It's okay not to be perfect. Humility will go a long way. Number six, Find your identity in Christ. Find your identity in Christ. Here's why. Because you will be tempted to find your identity in your spouse, your job, or possibly even your children. And when we do that, we fall into a dangerous area. Jesus defines who you are. Not the world, not your children, and not how much money you make. In him, you are the righteousness of God. Let Jesus tell you who you are. I think that's one of the reasons I'm glad we sang who you say I am this morning. We live in a world that is constantly bickering and telling us one thing or another, and we're believing lies, and we, get fallen, we fall into deceptions of, oh, I'm not a great parent because I didn't do this. That doesn't matter. Find your identity in Jesus. Don't find it in anything else. Number seven. I got this one from John Piper who wrote an article on this passage. He said this. I hope this is encourage, uh, encouragement to you as you move forward, but maybe if you're someone who's experienced this. Number seven, the only perfect father, God in heaven, had a rebellious son. 
had a rebellious son. The only perfect father had a rebellious son. Now, some of you may be looking at me like, all right, Tony, you were with, I had you, I was with you up until there. Because you're a heretic saying that Jesus was rebellious. No, that's not what I'm saying. Hosea chapter 11, jot that down. Hosea chapter 11, verses one and two. We see a written account specifically where God refers to Israel, his chosen people, as his son. And what did Israel do? Rebel. And what did God do? Was persistent, chasing them down, giving them more grace, giving them another option. So know this, parents in the room, the only perfect father, even he had a rebellious son. So if that's your case, love your children. As hard as it is, stay dedicated to them. Point them towards the truth. Tell them that there is, there is a greater reality. Number eight, these last few are some things that I wanted to throw in, that, things that I think I've learned of doing well or maybe not doing well. Number eight is actually my favorite. Dear friends, love your spouse well. Love your spouse well. If you feel like you're inadequate or you're in a rut, and you have a, a significant other, love your spouse well. Here's why I believe this to be true. One of the greatest tools we can have in the back of our two belts is always to love our spouse because our kids are watching. Amen? And your loving your spouse well will speak volumes into their life. Let me give you an example. It's kind of funny. I was talking with Sarah and Karis uh, the, in the last day or so because I asked Karis if I could have permission to share this. One of the things uh, Sarah and I love to do with Karis because she makes a big deal out of it is kiss in front of her. Uh, I'll come home. Um, Sarah might be in the kitchen and Karis is in her room or at the table and come in and say hi and give Sarah a kiss. And then we'll call Karis in just to make a big flub out of it. Karis, come here. And as soon as she comes in, Sarah and I lock lips. And she's like, oh, <laughs> get a room or something. And she just hates it. But in that fun, I want my kids to know that I love their mother. I love their mother. So dear friends, love your spouse well. Whatever that looks like for you, if that's kisses here and there, date night, conversations, intentional wording with your spouse around your kids, let them know that you love their mother or you love their dad. Number nine, discipline well. Discipline well with love and grace. Discipline your children with love and grace. And here's what I mean. Don't spare the rod. That's a proverb. Um, I can't remember which one it was. I'm sorry. I didn't reference it. But there's a proverb that talks about uh, the foolishness of a child's heart and discipline is often necessary. And also think about it this way. Jesus hanging on the cross. The father did not spare his son. And what came out of it? Your salvation. So discipline well. Give grace and mercy to your children because you recognize first that you need it just as much as they do. It's one of the things uh, that I love about how God has made or crafted Sarah and I's relationship is she knows I'm the more gracious parent. She gets a little more tempered and there's oftentimes, Karis does her eye rolling thing that she's so good at. She's like, I'm done, Tony, you got a gal. I can't handle that because I'll rip her head off. So here comes dad, graciously, lovingly. And it's not that I'm weak or soft in that area, even though Karis may have me wrapped around her finger. I lovingly discipline with grace and mercy. And dear friends, we can only do this when you recognize that you need it just as much as they do. Here's the 
tenth and final thing. Create an atmosphere in your home. Create an atmosphere in your home that will set your children up to thrive in this life. Create an atmosphere in, this, in your home that will set your children up to thrive in this life. And here's what I mean. Here's a couple of examples. Create an atmosphere of love. Create an atmosphere of care and support. Create an atmosphere of discipline. Nurture your children. Create an atmosphere of fun. Give your children the time and space to be creative, to see what they're good at, to figure out who they are. And most important, dear parents, create an atmosphere of authority. No matter where you're at in your life, in your spiritual journey, if you're a single parent or whatever, create an atmosphere of authority. You recognize parents in the room just as much as I do. When you were young, you had an issue with authority. Well, guess what your children do too? Create that atmosphere, build it. So when the time comes, when they get older, they won't be bucking it. Create an atmosphere in your home that will set your children up to thrive. I hope and pray that this look at Proverbs 22 has been helpful and encouraging. It has been a joy to study and think through it with you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time and this word. Thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs 22.6. Help us, Lord, to be parents no matter our shortcomings and our failures. God, that's why your grace is so awesome. It is new every day. So help us, Lord, to be people who love Jesus, who recognize the gift of, of children, and that we would not be bogged down or we could see through the fog of everything going on in this world and we could focus on dedicating our time and our effort to loving and leading them towards you. God, thank you for Jesus who was the perfect model for this uh, here on earth, how he dedicated his life to you and your glory. Father, I pray that for everyone in here, knowing that living for your glory looks so different and comes across in so many ways. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people that would be concerned about your glory in every aspect of our lives. But Lord, particularly for this day, we pray for glory to be manifested in our lives when it comes to parenting. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 